Thanks for checking out the Christian Life Austin podcast. If this is your first time listening, make sure to check us out at clcaustin.com for more info on how you can connect with us. We trust that you will enjoy today's message. Thank you for listening. Joshua chapter 23, verse 9 and 10. Now Joshua's an old man. He's stricken with age. Israel's at peace. There's a lot of good stuff going on. They've conquered Jericho. They've conquered places. They've driven out the Canaanites. It's been a wonderful, wonderful trip. And he says in verse 23, he says, verse 9, I mean, For the Lord has driven out from from before you great and strong nations. But as for you, no one has been able to stand against you to this day. Isn't that neat? Nobody's been able to stand against you. One man of you shall chase a thousand. Wow. For the Lord your God is he who fights for you as he promised you. I want to tell you, everybody here counts. They count. Three things every church must possess. Number one is affection. We need to ascribe significance to someone else. Everybody needs to matter. Number two is acceptance, a feeling of belonging. And number three is affirmation, approval. Let me ask you today, how many of you ask yourselves this question, how significant is my life? Do I make a difference when I move? When I act, when I do something, does anybody notice? Does my boss notice? Does my family notice? Does the universe notice? Does anybody notice when I do something? Do I really matter? One man wrote it this way, said the vast majority of people go through life achieving neither security nor significance. UCLA psychologist James Coleman said, with the baffling question of his own existence, Science falls short of providing full answers. In other words, exist. Why do I exist? What am I here for? What's my significance? People are even having a hard time finding their identity today. I love the story about a burglar who thinking no one was home broke into a house only to find a man and a wife in bed sitting up watching television. He pulled out a gun and looked at the wife and he said, what's your name? And she said, Elizabeth. He said, this is your lucky day, ma'am. I can't shoot anyone named Elizabeth because that's my mother's name. He turned to the husband and said, what's your name? He said, my name is Harry, but everybody calls me Elizabeth. (laughs) If somebody comes in our house, I'm Rex, but they call me Patty. Do I matter? Am I important? Does anybody care? Somebody help me with my struggle. I have a word for you today. Jesus sees the sparrow. He knows the number of hair on your head. He crowns us with favor and loving kindness. Yes, you matter. In 1963, Edward Lorenz, I got his picture here, presented a hypothesis to the New York Academy of Science. His theory simply stated that a butterfly, now listen, a butterfly could flap its wings Not a 747, a butterfly could flap his wings and set molecules of air in motion which would move other molecules of air, eventually capable of starting a hurricane on the other side of the planet. They called him Dr. Chaos. His ideas were literally laughed off the conference or out of the conference room and what he had proposed was ridiculous. It was preposterous, but you know, it was fascinating. Imagine the scientific community's shock and surprise when more than 30 years after the possibility was introduced that physics professors working from colleges and universities worldwide came to the conclusion that the butterfly effect 
Little old butterflies, monarch butterflies was real. That they stirred a little air who moved more molecules, who moved more molecules. And the ripple effect was both authentic, accurate, and viable. It soon became the law known as the law of sensitive dependence upon initial conditions. That's hard to to understand, but that's what it is. The law of sensitive dependence upon initial conditions. And this principle has proven to be a force encompassing more than just mere butterflies. Because the book says, if you ask, if you just ask, it shall be given. Our problem is we don't ask. If you seek, you're going to find. If you knock, the door is going to be open. It always says your action creates a reaction. Whatever you move, God moves for you. And this study has shown the effect to engage with the first movement of any form of matter, including people. So I ask again, how significant is my life? Do I make a difference? Let me tell you what time it is. It is time for someone in this congregation with their family, on their job, in that school, to make a move. Amen? Amen? Amen. It's time. Let me tell you a story. It's going to be a little lengthy, but it's worth every bit of it. Over 150 years ago, a single man made one move that still affects how we live today. He was a 34-year-old school teacher. But on a hot, humid day of July 2nd, 1863, Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain was in the fight of his life. Former professor from Baldwin College in Maine, he was a colonel in the Union Army. And he stood at the far left of 80,000 men, Union men, strung out across a line, across fields and hills, stretching all the way to Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. And earlier in the day, his commanding officer, a man named Colonel Vincent, had placed Chamberlain and his men of the 20th Maine at the end of that line saying, whatever you do, whatever you do, Joshua, you cannot let the Confederates come through your line." He couldn't withdraw. If the Confederate army overran them, the rebels would gain the high ground and the Union army would be quickly defeated. In essence, 80,000 men would be caught from behind on a downhill charge with no protection. So to win, to win that day, the gray-clad Confederates would have to come through Chamberlain and the 20th Maine. And at 2.30 that day, the first charge came. The 15th and 47th of the Alabama regiments came and they attacked uphill, running hard. And Chamberlain's main men withstood the attack and pushed them back. Then came the second assault and the third charge. And on the fourth assault, Chamberlain was hit dead center with a bullet in his belt buckle. (laughs) And realizing that he was both privileged and not seriously hurt, he scrambled to his feet and continued the fight. Once again, the rebels retreated downhill. On that fourth assault, though, the Confederate army almost made it to a wall. There was a wall, a stack of flat rocks that ran over 110 yards that were thigh high. And as the Union waited for the next charge, Chamberlain felt sorry for his men. He later recalled, he said, I had a deep within me, an inability to do nothing. But he said, I made up my mind that day. If I die, I will not die with a bullet to my back. I'm not going to die retreating. I'm going to die pressing forward like the Apostle Paul did. That's what he said. And on the fifth charge, the Confederates broke through the wall and there was fighting on both sides of the wall, hand fighting, knife fighting, fist fighting. Everybody was given their all. To save a nation, once again, the Union Army pushed them back. All of a sudden, younger brother Tom, Joshua's younger brother, approached with Sergeant Tozier, another hard-nosed soldier. 
And Tozer had a thick wad of torn shirt into the hole, pushed into a hole in his shoulder where he had been wounded. No help from the 83rd, the sergeant said. They have shot us to ribbons and all we can do is extend the line a little bit. Chamberlain asked, can we extend? And the answer was, there's nothing to extend, sir. More than half our men are down. And that was true. And Chamberlain's command had started in Bangor, Maine six months earlier with a thousand men. But that morning at Gettysburg, he was down to 300. And that afternoon, he was down to 80. When, asked, when he asked about the ammunition, his brother said, we've been shooting a lot, Joshua. And we're down to one, we're out of ammo. We're down to one to two rounds per man. All of a sudden, a little boy just out of nowhere climbed a tree. This is a true story. He climbed a tree in a lookout tree and he yelled, they're farming again, Colonel. They're getting ready to come again. And sir, there's a lot more of them this time. And at that moment, a messenger stumbled into their midst and said, sir, Colonel Vincent is dead. And Weed's men moved in to take care of Vincent's army or his, his regiment. But Weed's is dead also. And Hazlitt's men have moved in to take Weed's place, but Hazlitt's dead also. And Chamberlain turned to his first sergeant and said, tell the boys to take the ammunition from the wounded and the dead. And the sergeant said, sir, we did the last time. Maybe we should just pull out. And Chamberlain said, that will not happen. We're not going to pull out, not now, not tomorrow, not never. And Tozier spoke up, said, we won't hold them, sir. You won't, you know we won't. And then he heard the word. Here they come, here they come. And as he heard the word from the little boy in the tree, I'd like to declare that here came history also. From a 34-year-old, God, I can't hardly preach it without crying. From a 34-year-old teacher from Maine, Chamberlain stepped to the top of the wall and in full view, crossing his arms and staring down at the advancing enemy, he said within himself, I'm tired of just beating them back. I'm tired of assault after assault after assault after assault on this army. Surrounded by five men, four officers and a flag bearer. He, his brother said, Joshua, do something. Give an order. And Chamberlain did. He said to himself, we can't stay here. And he said, when faced with the choice of doing nothing or doing something, he said, I will always choose to be proactive. I will always act. And he turned to his men and said two words. You ready? He said, fix bayonets. <laughs> With mouth open, no one moved. Fix your bayonets now, he said. Then he said, execute a great right wheel of the entire regiment. One officer confused asked, sir, what's a great right wheel? And Tozer answered, he said, son, that means charge. The great white wheel, right wheel is an all out charge. Then lifting his sword, Chamberlain said, charge, charge, charge three times. And the men of the regiment came tumbling over the wall into history about which most people in our country have never heard. 80 men that day took on 400, outnumbered five to one. And when the Confederates saw Chamberlain, the leader of the opposition, mount that wall, the Confederate army stopped, unsure of what was happening. And then when Chamberlain pointed his sword toward and commanded his men to charge, they turned and ran. Many threw down loaded weapons and they were convinced this was not the same army. I love history. In less than five minutes, Chamberlain had the sword at the Confederate captain's neck laying on his back. He said, you, sir, are my prisoner. And the captain, the Confederate captain, turned around a fully loaded Navy Colt revolver and said, yes, sir, I am. One of the most amazing stories I've ever told here. But here's what most people never consider. If Chamberlain had not charged that day, 
the rebel forces would have won that day. Further, historians believe that if the rebels had won at Gettysburg on that July day, the South would have won the war probably by the end of the summer. Most assume that if the South won the war, we would exist as two countries today, the Union and the Confederacy. And this country now would be territorially fragmented continent much like Europe was and is, probably divided into nine to 13 countries. These are historians. Which means when Hitler swept across Europe in the 1940s, had Chamberlain not charged on that, on that afternoon so long ago, there would not be, exist a United States of America to stand in the breach. When Hirohito systematically invaded the islands of the South Pacific, there would not have been a country big enough and strong enough and wealthy enough and populous enough to fight and to win two wars on two fronts at the same time. We exist as a nation today because of a single one man, 34 year old school teacher that made a move more than 150 years ago. And Chamberlain is a human example of the human butterfly effect, which means if I can just move a little, God's gonna move a lot, hallelujah. I wanna preach to somebody today. One man, one man making one move whose effects still ripple through our lives today. Can I preach right now? Joshua said in the book of Joshua, no man has been able to stand against you to this day. How many of you can raise your hand and say, God has brought me through a lot of victories and a lot of battles. Come on, come on, a lot of victories, a lot of battles. One man of you shall chase a thousand I know we've been in a time of peace the last 26 years. There's been a beautiful peace. This church does not even understand what the word split means. And this church has been in a great peaceful place for 26 years, and I thank God for that. But I want to tell you, everything you do, every move you make, every action you take, it really matters. Not just you, but your family, your business, your church, your future I'm, I, I just think that some of us every now and then need to look up and say, you know what, God, I'm tired of just having assault after assault after charge after charge on my family, on my life, on my job, on my home, on my, on my property. I'm tired of all of that. I'm ready to make a full, <laughs> a great right wheel. Amen. I'm ready to charge in the name of the Lord. It's time for God's people to get up off of their back ends and stand on their feet, not literally today, and say, no more in my house. No more hell in my house. No more problems on my job. I declare in the name of the Lord that we will have victory in our home, in our life, in our future, on our jobs, everything we do. Amen. Last Sunday, we dedicated 43 babies here. No, you didn't get that. Let me say it again. 43. Well, who are they against so many? Do you know that in that crowd might be 10 lawyers? Do you know that in that crowd might be 15 or 20 preachers? Do you know that in that crowd might be some missionaries? Do you know that in that crowd, you never know what you're gonna flap your wings over? Hallelujah. But a church like Christian Life Church has to continually move our wings and say, you know what? We're gonna make the air move. 
and that air is going to make that air move. And before you know it, Holy Ghost is going to be baptized in this place and people are going to be coming from everywhere receiving God in their life because there's nothing, there's nothing greater than people being proactive in God. Wow. Wow. Friday, April the 2nd, 2004. ABC News honored a 91-year-old man. They called him the person of the week. When his accomplishments were mentioned, no one knew who they were talking about. His name, Norman Borlaug. There he is. Who? Who? Norman Borlaug. He changed the world in which we live. 1940s, he hybridized high-yield, disease-resistant corn and wheat for arid climates. Yeah. So the dust bowls of West Africa, the corn and the wheat could still grow. Our deserts in the Southwest, South and Central America, Siberia, Europe, and Asia, his seed succeeded when other seeds failed. Hmm. There's seed that's going to succeed. It saved the famine from two billion people. But actually, it wasn't Borlaug. The newsman was mistaken. It was really Henry Wallace, vice president under Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Wallace was a former secretary of agriculture before he became VP, and he started hybridizing corn and wheat as a V. And as a VP, when he became VP, he hired Borlaug to run the production. And Borlaug won the Nobel Prize, and he won the President's Medal of Freedom. But it really was Wallace that saved the two billion people. Or was it George Washington Carver? When Carver was 19 years old, I love this man's story. He was a student in Iowa State. And he had this dairy science professor. <laughs> his name was Wallace. That allowed his six-year-old kid to run with Carver on the weekends. And they went on bot botanical expeditions. And Carver told young Henry Wallace under his, uh, or, or took a Henry Wallace under his butterfly wings and taught him all he knew about science and plant life. And Carver developed 266 things about the peanut. I just like them in the raw, Mr. Carver. When I see you in heaven, I'll tell you that. And he had 88 different things he did with a sweet potato. But did he save the 2 billion people? Or was it that farmer from Diamond, Missouri named Moses? See, Moses lived in a slave state, but he did not believe in slavery. And psychopath raiders called the Quantrill Raiders back in that day would come and burn crops of people who didn't support slavery in the South. And sure enough, the raiders came and burned the barn and the farm of Moses where he farmed and dragged off a woman named Mary who refused to let go of an infant son named George. And Mary was a friend of Moses' wife, Susan. And Susan went on the attack and went to all the neighbors and found where Moses could meet the bandits. And that husband, Moses, rode his only and last horse out of the farm that day to go meet the Quantrill Raiders in Kansas. And he gave away his last horse and received a dirty burlap sack in return. And as the raiders rode away, Moses opened the burlap bag and pulled a cold, naked, almost dead baby boy out. Opening his coat and shirt, he put that boy against his chest. Closed that shirt on top of him in his coat and clutched him to his chest and kept him warm and walked home all night long. And the next day he was home. And he and his wife committed to raising that baby boy. His mother, Mary, was dead. So two people named Moses and Susan Carver came to raise George Washington 
Carver. So who really fed two billion people? Was it Borlaug? Was it Vice President Wallace? Was it George Washington Carver? Was it Susan? Was it Moses? Here's the message. Everybody I preached about today did their part. Oh, let me preach now. Those people stumbled out of an upper room in Acts chapter two and they had their wings a flapping. Hallelujah. And all of a sudden the Samaritans down in there in Samaria, they got their wings a flapping. And then Cornelius' house got his wings a flapping. And then those boys in Ephesus got their wings a flapping. And all of a sudden this thing went from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost part of the world. And now it is ours right here in America. The Holy Spirit baptism is moving in churches right now. Are we going to sit here and let hell assault us? Or are we going to flap our wings and say, charge in the name of the Lord today? Hallelujah. He still heals the sick people. He still raises the dead. He still opens blind eyes. He still unlocks prison doors. He's still Savior. Hallelujah. Chamberlain crossed his arms and said, I'm tired of you coming to me. I'm fixing to come to you. Churches that can grow seed in arid climates. They can hybridize and grow seeds in hybrid climates. Can create churches anywhere. Because God wants us to make a motion. He'll send the wind. My, my message is about over. The search for significance. Do I matter? Can you make just a little bit of air? Can you flap your wings just a little? Can you keep giving? Can you keep coming to church? Can you keep blessing people? We blessed 43 babies here last week. We just kind of anoint them and just kind of watch God. Watch God. There was an old circuit riding preacher in Oklahoma years ago. Thank you, Randy. Years ago. That uh, rode past some houses and said, got a tent revival starting up over here. And he came back by a particular house and went to the door and the man answered the door and he said, we're not interested in your revivals. He said, well, is your wife home? He said, yeah, she's home. But she's not going to talk to you. Your kid's home. Yeah, they're home, but they're not going to talk to you. I'm the daddy. I run this house. We're not interested in your revival. And he, he left. And so he thought, God wants me to talk to that family. So he got him a little New Testament Bible and he, and he underlined everything about salvation in that New Testament. And he said, if you can read, read this. Put it in the mailbox. And the wife found that and plus a little flyer because he knew the daddy worked and the mama would read. <laughs> God have mercy. And so the mother read the invitation to the tent revival and went. God blessed the kids and blessed her. She came home and husband was waiting on her. Said, "Where are you taking the kids? Y'all go shopping? Did you go to the grocery store?" He said, "No, I went to their tent revival." 
hate to tell you this, but he beat my my grandmother and beat my my mother and her her children, her 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 brothers and sisters and siblings. He beat them all. He said, "You'll not go back." So, in a kitchen table, at a kitchen table, my grandmother opened up that Bible and started reading about salvation. And that preacher's flapping wings sent a wind to that house. My grandmother was filled with God's blessings and power and promise and received the Holy Spirit that day. Took the kids back to another tent meeting and all of them went down to the creek and got baptized. Came home that night and she looked at my grandfather and said, beat me all you want. But what I got on the inside, you can't beat out of me anymore. I wished wished I'd have found the picture. One of the first pictures of me at church was was with my grandfather. He became a saved man. He went to the revival. He couldn't beat him. He had to join him. And God saved him. And one of the first pictures you'll ever see of me in church is my grandfather wore those awash, gosh, be gosh overalls, you know, those little striped overalls. He always let one of them loose. One of them was always hanging loose. And he had, a, he had a railroad pocket watch in his upper pocket here. And he'd keep me quiet in church. And he'd put my ear against that ticking watch. And we'd sit on the front row. I'm here today. I'm here today. Listen, listen. Because somebody wouldn't just continue to take assaults. They said, great, real, Right. We're going to do the great right wheel right now. We're going to charge. We're going to make this thing work. And all of a sudden, those flapping wings created a wind. And I was saved at nine years old. And I'm preaching the gospel today. (laughs) Hey! A little old hick grandmother and grandpa... My grandfather couldn't even read. He couldn't write. He couldn't read. He couldn't write. But he knew Jesus Christ. And he knew what it was to go to church after God saved him. And he created a wind that saved his family. Here's what I want to tell you. It don't matter who you are. God lets butterflies create climate change. He sees a sparrow when it falls. And you can make some wind that will move some molecules in your life. And those molecules will create a wind. This church needs some people that are proactive in this hour. Not just reactive, but proactive. It's time to take a stand in your home for Jesus Christ. I know Christianity is not looked at as the big deal now like it was 10 or 15 years ago. But I'm telling you, we're still the big deal in the world. We're still the big deal in the world. Hallelujah. We're still the big deal in the world. Jesus still saves. Come on. Jesus still heals. Jesus still delivers. Would you stand to your feet all over the house? 
Would you stand to your feet? Wow, 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 wow. Wow. Somebody walked up and said, thank for the history lesson in first session today. Somebody else walked up and said, I, I'm so glad you told us who Joshua Chamberlain was. I never heard of him. Highly educated person. They don't teach you this in school. Because they want us to be separate, not united. But God's got people that are united on the face of this earth. And they're right here. I want us to do something. It's just, you know, it's just kind of, I guess it's kind of the state of the church address today. And I want us to do something today. I want us just to kind of step out where you are or bring your family to the front if you, if you can. Or step out. I know the balcony, it's hard to do that. But would you just step out in an aisle up there and maybe back up against that back wall. Get your families with you. Get your husband, your wife, your kids. Just come on down. Would you do that right now? Would you do that? Amen. In the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord. Let, let, let me just share it with you guys. Let me, let me just tell you. I'm like, I'm really like Lou Gehrig. I am the most privileged man in the world to pastor people like y'all. I have so many people in this church, so many people in this church that consider me their best friend. And you are my best friends. And if you come here, if you come Sundays, if you come Sundays, Wednesdays, if you, if you come to every every frog jumping contest we have, if you come to everything we have, you matter. If you don't come but Sunday morning, you matter. If you come once a month, you matter because everybody matters. I want everybody that hears the sound of my voice in this pulpit to go to heaven. I want everybody saved. I want everybody right. I want everybody doing the right thing. I want our kids to be blessed. I want you to be blessed. I want heaven to open up for us. I want the glory of God to be profoundly touched to our hearts. Amen. I want that to happen. Anybody say amen to that? You want that to happen? Ask God to give me strength to preach like I've never preached before in this, this rest of this year because I believe that God has got something wonderful and great and glorious for us. God wants you to matter. You do matter. He wants you to understand that you matter. Amen? So I want you to lift your hands all over the house and I want you to say, Lord, let me create movement in my life. And that concludes today's message. Please visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, to register for an upcoming event, or to support the Christian Life Ministry through our online giving portal. Thank you for listening.